You're listening to Scaling Up Services, where we speak with entrepreneurs, authors, business experts, and thought leaders to give you the knowledge and insights you need to scale your service-based business faster and easier. And now, here is your host, business coach, Bruce Eckfeld. Welcome, everyone. This is Scaling Up Services. I'm Bruce Eckfeld. I'm your host. And our guest today is William Lieberman, who is founder and CEO of the CEO's right hand and all around financial genius. So uh, William and I have known each other for a while through uh, the Entrepreneurs Organization and various kind of groups. And I'm really fascinated to talk to him today uh, about his entrepreneurial background and the company he's working on now, which is very service-based. William, thank you for being on the program. Absolutely. I'm, I'm glad to be here and looking forward to it. Great. So why don't we start? I always like to kind of have people just give a little bit about their background. So how, you know, what was your background? How did you get into services? How did you start this particular company? And then we can talk a little bit about what, we, what you're doing with the CEO's right hand. Sure. My background has been business and finance, both a mix all my life. So I built a couple different companies, the main one being a fintech business uh, that started in San Francisco. And then I moved it out to New York and built and ran that as CEO and chairman, as well as CFO for many years. And then I left that in 14 and went to a startup. I was president and CFO of that business, a startup that didn't start for a variety of reasons, <laughs> as many people have experienced. And then from there, I, I started uh, my current business, the CEO's right hand as a, a boutique financial consulting firm. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, I think there's a whole nother podcast on startups that didn't quite start. Yes, <laughs> I think everyone's got a story <laughs> of those. So, uh, and, and this is great because I think uh, a, a lot of what I love to talk about is a little bit of the contrast or the, the differences in service-based businesses than other types, you know, product-based business, manufacturing-based businesses. So, uh, so tell me a little bit about when you started the CEO's right hand, what, what services were you focusing on? What did you, um, what problems were you trying to solve for folks? Uh, and then we can talk a little bit about the evolution of that over time. Right. So I think it's important to understand some of the reasons I started the business, right? So I started the business so that I can have flexibility in my life um, and so that I can have a really bit of risk diversification. So in my mind, if I have 10, 15, 20 clients and I lose one or two, it doesn't matter. But if I go work for somebody full time, you know, that is, could be perceived as even riskier. It, lots of people don't realize that. They say, yeah. oh, I could go get a job. It's safe. But there's a lot of ways that it isn't. So just want to put that out there. So I started this business looking to be the outsourced CFO for early stage growth companies where I provide strategic advice based in finance that can help people go from point A to point B to point B. How are you going to get there? And let me figure out with you as a partner you know, what we can do from a financial perspective to help you. So that was the genesis. I had spent many years in, in you know, EO and uh, Entrepreneurs Organization and the Accelerators Program. I spent many years as a mentor to very early stage companies, and I really enjoyed that. I really enjoyed yeah. being able to help them. And so now this gives me a vehicle to do so. And what and, and so you, you mentioned sort of strategic problems. What were there typical things that you tended to focus on, or problems that you ran into with these early stage folks? So, uh, so what kind of problems did you generally focus on with these early stage companies? Like, what, what were you what were you running into? Any any common challenges that you'd find that they have? Sure. In the beginning, lots of companies, especially as they're growing, 
have struggle with cash flow and how much cash do they have? How much do they need? How are we going to get it? How are we going to generate it? What's the best way to generate cash, be it internally or do we need to go out and raise capital? And if we need to raise capital, how do we do it? How much do we need? Who do we approach? So we spend a lot of time on making sure the company doesn't run out of cash as, mm-hmm. as they're growing. And that's a real core area of focus for us um, even today. Beyond that, we got into and get into very strategic issues with you know, what products or services should we be selling? How should yeah. we be selling? Who should we be selling to? You know, you think through all the different types of aspects of a business when the company is young and, and you are actually a trusted advisor, consigliere, if you will, no. uh, for the CEO founder. And because I've been in their shoes um, and have been there, done that, it brings a lot of experience to the table that helps them avoid the landmines. Yeah. And, and I think that's, uh, you know, that, that advisory role uh, can, can be really kind of important for early stage companies because oftentimes either they haven't been through it before or they've been through it in one particular way and they haven't been through it the way they're in it now. <laughs> so helping them navigate that stuff. I also think that, you know, from a finance point of view, it's fascinating because it's, you know, we always say, you know, I'll show me your bank account or your credit card statement and I'll show you what your priorities are. Right. You know, they, they will they will spend money <laughs> right. based on what they really want to do and what they really think is important. So it's uh, I think it's a fascinating way of kind of looking or advising a business. So uh, so it sounds like in the beginning it was kind of this finance and then it would kind of filter out or kind of spread out to lots of different aspects of the business. As you started to grow, what did you notice about some of the challenges of picking clients, picking services, what was the what was that process like for you as you as you grew the company? Yeah, so in terms of looking at clients and, and qualifying clients, I think that was a big challenge for me is is how to qualify clients, especially in the beginning. I was taking everything in, right? It was I was being very opportunistic and not strategic in terms of my ability to to look at a client, what are their needs, and what are my abilities or my team's abilities to service those needs. So now I boiled it down to, you know, a pretty simple list, you know, one, you know, are you passionate about growing your business, right? There's lots of companies that are lifestyle companies that are just kind of, you know, going along and they're happy to do that and and not really interested in growing or changing or mixing things up. And so that they can really increase the, the bottom line Two, are you willing to listen, right? There's lots of people, you know, you (laughs) You go yeah. in and, and they have their own ideas and they're just going to do what they're going to do. So I'm not quite sure why I'm even there. Um, and three, I have to like you, right? So, yeah. you know, life's too short. So if, if you really are not a person I would like to have a beer with, I'm probably not going to want to do business with you and, and talk to you on a regular basis. Yeah. Other than that, you know, we're pretty open to, and, and I guess for, can you pay my bill, right? So, um, <laughs> Other than that, you know, we're open to any industry, any geography, and and we're really looking to to grow the business um, significantly. And we have so far. Yeah. yeah. So so tell me about the growth. So where where have you seen traction in terms of being able to grow and scale these services from a sort of value or from a offering point of view? Like what what do you go out with uh, at this point in terms of right. uh, services? I think one of the things that I learned is there are you know on the food chain of finance. There are, mm-hmm. you know, the bottom is sort of bookkeeping and yep. then the top is strategic advisory and there's everything in between accounting, controller, financial planning, VP of finance, a CFO, and then, and then strategic advisor. That's the spectrum. And that's the spectrum yep. of services that we offer. And what I found is that 
the higher up the chain, the, obviously, the more you can charge. But yeah. those are the people that are in demand because there's fewer and far between. Right. So finding a really good uh, business analyst who can do financial planning in Excel um, is very difficult. And so what we do is we found some people that we know that work great, that are client facing. Same on the CFO side, strategic CFOs. There's tons of bookkeepers, tons yeah. of people at the bottom of the food chain. And so I, I stay away from that work and focus in on the high value add where I know that we can bring a lot to the table and that I can subsequently charge a lot uh, more than, you know, again, the sort of commoditized service um, within the financial realm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like really kind of figuring out the, where do you have the most impact from a client point of view and, and whereas, where do they have the hardest time finding, exactly. <laughs> basically finding, finding those services. And there are lots of companies that provide outsourced bookkeeping and they do it in, in mass, right? And, yeah. you know, I, there, some of them are pretty good. But that's just not the space that we play in. Yeah, yeah, no, that makes sense. And you know, certainly figuring out the the niche and the and, and the focus. Anything you've seen in terms of the customer side, in terms of types of customers, either you know demographic or psychographic or situational, that you end up finding a lot or doing well with or selling easily to. Definitely, I think again the ones that are passionate about growing, and those tend to be, and it happens to be, you know, the people that I get referred into either from Gazelles as a, as yeah. a Gazelles coaches, the entrepreneurs organization, EO folks, Vistage, and less to a less extent YPO. But the people that are in organizations like that 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 are really interested in learning more and growing their business and listening to other people from a you know sort of EQ IQ quotient kind of thing. They're ready. Yeah. They're ready to dig yeah. in and, and improve their game. So that's the best. And then from there, I just I've been working my network and finding people that are in a state of change, some flux, something's happened in their business that gives them a pain point. And once they hit that pain point, then they say, hey, yeah, I, I really need your help here. Good. So I'm sure a lot of people listening are kind of in this professional services world of, of various kind of flavors. What would you say have been some of the bigger challenges for you as you kind of look to grow the professional services organizations? Where where have you hit uh, challenges, roadblocks, obstacles, and what are the, some of the things that you've done to, to overcome those? Right. I think that, you know some of the biggest challenges, especially in a, in the services organization, are you know, it comes down to people, right? So yeah. finding the right people that can deliver and understand the consultative approach to uh, a service-based business, right? So there's, you can find lots of people that are really good, at, say, in a specific domain, like um, spreadsheet work or yeah. you know, financial analysis, whatever, what it might be. But to find people that are good at that and are really good communicators um, that can go and be client-facing and listen and ask the right questions, take it back, digest it, and put it, package it up together in a solution using the various constituents and resources that they have at their disposal. Mm -hmm. That's critical, right? Finding yeah. those people are, um, is what I spend a lot of time on. And, yeah. you know, I've been able to do that so far. Um, some people haven't worked out in the past, and, but, you know, my current team's great. And I'm continually looking. So I'm always interviewing, always talking to people, always meeting people. Even if I don't have an immediate need, I'm always building a bench. And that I found is yeah. very you know, critical across the whole spectrum. So from bookkeepers all the way up to CFOs, I'm constantly building a bench. Yeah, I, I would say pro probably, you know, if I were to create a list of like the top three things for a CEO of a service-based company, but 
you know, talent, talent is probably number one or number two. I would have to debate it a little bit, but <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, yeah. One and two, because I, I think you're right. And I like that, that kind of the, the, maybe the mental shift of it's not that you're all, you're always developing talent. You're always looking for talent. And I often find that in fact, companies run into problems is when, when they, if they start to look for talent when they need the talent, it's far too late. <laughs> you really, you really need to have that pipeline, that, that bench, that, talent flow coming in so that when you do need it, you can kind of pull from the pool that you have rather than trying to create it because that can, it can take months and it, and it comes and goes and fits and starts based on what's going on in the market and the economy. I yeah. use an accordion model, right? So I use 1099 contractors mm-hmm. so that I can scale up and scale down depending upon the volume of business coming in. And so that creates its own challenges, by the way. So there's some great things about it, but yeah. the, some issues that come up with some of these people have their own clients or their own businesses, et cetera. And so they might not always be available. So that's where I, again, I have to build that bench out. So I always have enough capacity of people sitting on the bench so that if something comes in and closes, then I know. And then I'm always forecasting out my pipeline and I'm talking to people say, hey, this could close in the next 30 days. Are you going to be available, et cetera, et cetera. So, and I'm, as, as a financial person, <laughs> I'm sure you're a lot of experience doing forecasts and stuff, but I actually think that's one of the big challenges for a lot of professional services firms is they think that, okay, well, I'm going to do my forecast in January 1st, you know, for the year, and then I'm going to look at it again next January. In fact, it, it's a, it's an ongoing process. And it's every, you know, every week, every other week, once a month, sit down and doing that forecast and reforecasting and adjusting based on the new information we have, how does that change our, our outlook and developing that sort of that bench and keeping that bench kind of warm based on what, what might be coming down the pike is, is absolutely. Is key. And, and whatever forecast you come up with is going to be wrong. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's forecast. It's the, it's forecasting, not the forecast. That's important. Exactly. So, and I think that 1099, the, the whole, uh, you know, the accordion contractor model, do you have a sense of the ratio? Like how many, what bench on the 1099 or how many, what capacity of 1099 do you typically kind of need or you do you target relative to the work that you think you're going to get? Because you're right that you don't know, you know, you could go to any one of those people for a given week and they could say, well, look, I've got another gig. I'm not, I'm not available that right. week. What is that multiple for you? Do you have right. a sense? So, you know, I always like to have probably about two or three people that I know, I trust, that I, you know, I have vetted that have some capacity. So let's say 25 to 50% capacity at any given time. So I kind of, because even within that, they'll ebb and flow. But if I have sort of three people within a function that are, you know, relatively available, that's a good number for me, given the volume of inbound leads or lead gen that I'm doing. Yeah, because it's always there's there's always a cost, right? It it takes you time and money and energy to develop that pipeline. You don't want to if I develop a 10 deep, I'm probably over invested in that. Whereas if I only have one, I'm probably too risk. So exactly. understanding how that balances exactly. every time. And I think that's a key one for services companies, just looking at resources. Honestly, it, the same kind of idea and model can be applied to full-time hires as well. Right. <laughs> you know, right. just unfortunately we, we got rid of intended servitude, you know, a couple of centuries ago. So, you know, we can't guarantee that everyone's going to be around. You never know when you're going to get a notice. So having that bench on that side too is always, you know, it's a, it's a key idea, particularly if you're growing. Right. You know, if you know that you're going to be scaling up over the next, you know, the coming quarters, coming years. Talk to me a little bit about this idea of like this Venn diagram. We had, you know, people that are highly skilled and we have people who are uh, great at client services. And then we've got this little sliver, football shaped sliver in the center. How, um, what have you found in terms of 
how you find these people. Any, any approaches, techniques, either in terms of sourcing or in terms of filtering through folks, in terms of finding that, the, the football, right. football folks? Right. So sourcing, you know, I use my networks, right? So I use you know, my existing personal network. I use my business school alumni network. I'm constantly reaching out. And, and then I'm also talking to competitors so I, I always say, hey, what are you doing, Bob? How's this working? And I get some G2 on the, you know, what they're doing. And sometimes they'll say, hey, look, you know, we don't have a need for this type of thing. Or it's just they're not a direct competitor. So we even share um, resources. So there's all sorts of opportunities. And by circulating and telling people what I'm doing, what I'm looking for, I just get people giving me leads on resources. In terms of vetting them, I always look at, technical skills as well as, you know, consultative skills. So there's a soft skills and I meet with them, sit down with them, understand how they communicate. I always get um, samples of their writing. So yes, we do finance and number stuff, but I always get writing samples because I want to see how well they communicate. And then what I do is I have them start with a small project and I sit with them on that as sort of like a test project, if you will. And I sit Mm -hmm. with them when they're going to a client or on the phone with a client. And so I get to hear, are they asking the right questions, et cetera. So it's a a multi-step process. And then from there, I can sort of start giving them more and more work. Mm -hmm. What what level of confidence would you say you get to before, you know, when you pull the trigger on a hire versus... Uh, you know, you're still kind of evaluating uh, over a period of time. Uh, just do, do you have a sense of what that is? Do you get do you get to 100% certainty or you know very very high level of certainty before you kind of bring someone on and have them start working with clients, or do you still do you have some kind of well like I we formally have like a three month probation period or, or some kind of trial period and you see how it goes and only a certain percentage actually make it past that? Yeah, how do you do with that? Probably closer to the latter than the former. So it is a hey, let's try each other out, right? Because it's also, hey, can we work together well? And I want to make sure there's a chemistry between myself and, and you know, the CFO consultants so that Mm -hmm. they feel comfortable working with me just as I feel comfortable working with them and obviously the client feels comfortable. And I tell the clients, hey, look, you know, here's a person that I think is the right fit for you. If you don't feel that's there, you know, I have, you know, two or three others that I could place as well. So in many respects, You know, I'm a staffing business in many respects, right? But I I do spend time with them and I I like to sort of understand what their concerns are, frustrations are, et cetera, when they're digging into engagement so they don't get stuck. You know, I I, got to help them get unstuck as quickly as possible. Hmm. It's an interesting kind of way of positioning is that you're – you know, you're, you're putting them on the client. They're kind of in charge and responsible for the client. You're there as, you know, kind of the, the SWAT team. If something goes wrong or if you need help or if something is unclear, you know, call me and then you can kind of come in and, and exactly. help you with that particular that situation. exactly what I do. Yeah. Um, so tell me a little bit about how you, you're kind of, I used to call it playing chess in the in the uh, consulting game. It's like figuring out how to how to deploy your various people on various clients. Are there techniques, questions, strategies that you use to kind of figure out who should be working with who for how long for what project? Is there a rhyme or it's, reason to? It's it's not as disciplined as I would like. What you just said is is a good <laughs> idea. Um, a little matrix, so I can actually kind of envision that. But it's a it's a it's a kind of a Venn diagram, like you said. So it's a looking at the personality of the client versus yeah. the consultant, looking at the consultant's background in terms of domain expertise. Do they know manufacturing versus 
you know, professional services versus e-commerce, right? So depending upon what the engagement is and what their background is. So as an example, if somebody happens to, you know, have worked in Japan and I happen to have an, a client in Japan and they need help, well, you know, there's maybe a good fit. So, you know, the, the domain expertise, the, uh, the personality and obviously capacity and their ability and sometimes geography. Right. So I'll have a client in, you know, middle of New Jersey. You know, I'm not going to place somebody from Long Island on that account. So that happens. So, you know, it's yeah. kind of a combination of those four items. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's uh, uh, one of the big challenges of service based business is you're dealing with people <laughs> and pe- people are are a little complicated. You know, they live places, they have personalities, they have different skills, you know, so figuring out kind of the matrix of, of how you map them together is, right. is is tough. Now, in today's um, world, we do a lot, yeah. even in the tri-state area, we do a lot virtually, right? So yeah. there's a lot of clients that, you know, maybe we'll go once or twice in the beginning, but ongoing, we just do Skype or on the phone. Yeah. Yeah. That's certainly changing a lot of a lot of industries. And I think you, you're an, it's an interesting example here where it's it's not the, well, I've got someone in, you know, South America or in Eastern Europe, like I'm, I'm bridging these huge geographies. You're actually bridging 20 miles. Right. And it's just, you're actually taking a local market and just making it that much more efficient in terms of being able to bring resources together, you know, that otherwise, you know, might be commuting for an hour twice a day if, if they really had to get them up. Exactly. Uh, so I can increase my billable hours by 25% just by doing that. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's huge. That's, well, that's all bottom line. Yeah. <laughs> if you look at the finances of it, you know, that's dropping to your bottom line. That's you're, you're still paying people. Uh, so tell me a little, as you think about kind of growing and scaling the business as uh, CEO, what are the things that you kind of think about, focus on uh, in terms of the strategic side of the business? Where, where do you spend your time and what, uh, what do you do at that time? Uh, in terms of thinking through your business and how you grow it? So um, currently, I'm spending a lot of time on sales and marketing. So, and they're two very different things, as, I, as I've learned. So what I need to do is do a better job of not only just filling the funnel, which we're doing a pretty good job of filling the funnel, but making sure everything's dropping through the bottom. And so I'm actually looking to bring on a consultant to help me do that, right? So, hey, I know you are a guru in sales and walking people through that funnel. And so helping me and my biz dev team work through that, um, I think is going to be very valuable so we can increase our close rates and decrease our sales cycle time. That's one thing that I'm working on, too, is marketing with a message that's clear and defined and and really make sure that resonates with my target market. So, you know, I spend a lot of time on that as opposed to throwing spaghetti on the wall because, you know, I could do webinars, I could do ebooks, I could do all sorts of things. But let's do things that really drive people to making a decision about hiring us. And so I'm trying to focus in on that as opposed to now, you know, in the past, I was trying a bunch of different things. Yeah, it's always a balance of the kind of that experimenting for new ideas, but then taking the ones that get traction and actually honing them and optimizing them. And uh, any any pieces of advice? So, so like I said, there's probably quite a few people that are in leadership positions and service-based companies that are looking to grow. Any pieces of advice or thoughts that you would give them in terms of areas of focus, things to think about, you know, maybe things they're not thinking about they should start thinking about? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, one of the things that is important is having a playbook in place so you follow a process. So be it looking for uh, 
talent. How do we do that? How do we go about that? What, what are the right types of people that will fit? So coming up with a playbook on finding talent and um, ensuring the quality of the service that you're providing with that talent will help you scale because by putting in a process in place, you then can enable people that work with you and work for you to start putting that in into motion, meaning I can now say, hey, here's the playbook of how we go out and find somebody, and now I can delegate pieces of that to somebody else and start um, inculcating that with them. So now I can st- take a step up and can grow my organization because of other people doing pieces of it for me. So by putting processes in place, I can delegate out more and more. Yeah, and I think that's it's a big sort of mind mental shift that a lot of founder CEOs go through. Um, uh, you know, process structure will set you free. Um, you know, it's just a matter of kind of embracing it and figuring out how to do it in a way that works for you. Yeah. But I think those are great. Those are great points. We're going to hit time here in a second. So why don't uh, I give you a chance if people want to find out more information about you, about your company, about your services, what's the best place to get a hold of you and, and way to contact you? So the easiest is just to go to the website, uh, www.theceos, uh, so that's it's the C-E-O-S right hand, R-I-G-H-T-H-A-N-D dot co, not com, dot co. And everything's there and contact us is there, et cetera, in my bio. And um, you can contact me anytime. Great. And I'll make sure that the link is below or in the show notes, wherever, wherever it ends up being, uh, so they can get through and, and get to that. William, this is a pleasure. Thank you so much for, for being on the program. Absolutely. Thank you. You've been listening to Scaling Up Services with business coach Bruce Eckfeldt. To find a full list of podcast episodes, download the tools and worksheets, and access other great content, visit the website at scalingupservices.com. And don't forget to sign up for the free newsletter at scalingupservices.com slash newsletter. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.